Well, so here we are with friends from another part of the body of Christ, from Grace Church in, in is it actually Gross Point or is it Detroit? Detroit. In, in Detroit. And so will you all stand up with us? Um, we're going to bring you, the two of you, up. So this is Stacy and Chris Lemansky. Uh, the two of them have um, been in, uh, you know, many different places, but we're just going to highlight one place they've been at the moment. So they were in Nigeria doing missionary work for several years. Chris with uh, Sports Friends, yeah. right, doing evangelistic work through sports, equipping local churches mm -hmm. to bring sports so that the gospel could be preached. Pretty cool, right? Sounds like something you would like to do. Not that I'm trying to send you anywhere. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's, it's interesting in, in knowing that, that uh, sports play, and still does. I mean, we're, we're worshiping on a basketball court. Right. <laughs> so, um, but when we first started the church, sports were, they were so central. Um, people like myself were a little bit younger then. Um, and it was, it was such an evangelistic tool. It was a, mm -hmm. it was a powerful outreach tool for us. So, yeah, looking forward to more conversations around that. Yeah, and, and then, um, so here's a handheld, or not a handheld, I'm, hand, I'm holding it in my that hand. One's, that, one's that one's Claire's, that one's Claire's. Okay, this is mine. Yeah. And then um, Stacy is a physician, and, um, and so as an OBGYN, she served in Nigeria in the war-torn, poorest of the poor area. Um, and we talked a little bit about how they weren't really scared, but every night they had to lock down and sometimes they, you know, they were removed from the house and sometimes, you know, so it was really great because here's the reality. When you go where God wants you to go, there's a grace for you to be there. Mm -hmm. And so the beauty right. of this is that um, Stacy, as a, as a physician, uh, has been working as a surgeon repairing people for many years, both in Africa and now in Detroit. And, um, and she wrote a book on repairing the soul. So this book is called Freedom, and she's going to be speaking to us from Freedom today. And, uh, and we're just going to bless them. Would you guys all just extend your hands, and, and we will pray first for healing for Stacy because yes. she's got a little bit of a scratchy throat. Yes. God, we're so grateful that uh, just the subject of freedom and how it affects all of our lives, that you truly have set us free. Mm -hmm. Those of us that have opened our lives to you, that, God, you have made a way where there seemed to be no way in our lives. And one of the ways that manifests in our lives, I love Psalm 103 that says to not forget any of your benefits. Mm -hmm. And certainly one of the benefits of living a life in you is there are these times when you just meet us physically mm -hmm. and you miraculously bring healing going beyond the goodness of um, all, all of the things that humanity can bring, that God, there's a space that you meet us. So we ask for that for Stacy this morning for her throat and we just pray blessing on her physically. Mm -hmm. And uh, we come against every attack mm -hmm. uh, on her life and Chris's life. Mm -hmm. We know that you, uh, they are in a place. They do the kind of work uh, that becomes a target to the enemy. So we come against that. We pray protection on them and Thank blessing you, on both of their lives mm -hmm. and their family. You, and we give you thanks for that. Amen. 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 <coughs> well, so you guys all want to just say welcome? Welcome. Thank you. So I told uh, Stacy, Dr. Lemansky, 
um, that uh, she was made for war, you know, both in war-torn countries and in writing books to help people make war uh, and take back all that's been taken from them. And so we welcome you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm grateful for the invitation. Claire is my spiritual director, and I'm sorry. Hang on just one second. I've been meeting with Claire for about four years, and I cannot tell you how my life has been transformed by meeting with this woman and by the books that she has recommended that I read She's just been an incredible gift to me in my marriage, in my parenting, even in my own small group community at home. I think she's meeting with several of my friends now. She's come to do various retreats. And what an incredible gift you have in Pastor Claire and Scott as well. So thank you for that. So the Lord has been speaking to my husband and I about the spiritual gift of prophecy. And this is a new thought. We uh, are new to the gift of prophecy. So we've been reading some books and traveling to various conferences to learn about the gift. And last February, we traveled to California to a prophetic conference. And uh, at the conference, they had us do an activation exercise. And how many of you always feel awkward when you have to do these activation exercises. You have to pair up with someone that you don't know. And so that was the assignment. We had to pair up with someone that we didn't know, and we had to prophesy to them about a movie character. And so I paired up with this uh, sweet lady in front of me. She was a young mom, and she turned to me and she said, well, I'm a young mom of four small boys, and I don't watch many movies, but have you ever seen the movie The Incredibles? And I said, yes. How many of you have seen the movie The Incredibles? Yes. And she said, what I sense God saying to me is that you're like Edna Mode. (laughs) And how many of you know who Edna Mode is? Um, There's a picture of her there on the slide. Um, But she said, the reason that you're like Edna Mode is because, number one, you're short, but also because I hear God saying that you dress people for battle. You dress people for battle. I had never met this woman, and I was stunned when I heard her say that. Because little did she know that just six weeks prior to meeting her, I had published my first book, which was largely about spiritual warfare. So in accordance with the prophetic word that's been spoken over me, I am here this morning, at least in part, to dress you for battle. Because how many of you know that we are in a spiritual battle? Ephesians tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and the principalities, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That is who we are wrestling against. And so this morning, what I'd like to do, if I could, is to just share with you a parable. It's a story that I believe the Lord has given me, and I'm wondering, oh, here are the markers. Excellent. Uh, This is a story um, that has helped some people as I have taught on the subject of spiritual warfare. 
and, and the lies that we can believe, the wounds that we can incur and the lies that we can believe over the course of our lifetime. So this is a fictional story, a parable of a girl named Jessica. And this is Jessica, and please forgive my lack of artistic ability. I'm a surgeon, not an artist. But there's grace, right? There's grace. So this is Jessica. And the story of Jessica begins when she's just five years old. When Jessica is five years old, her father has an affair with one of his coworkers. And through the course of this relationship, Jessica's father decides, you know, my life is not going to be complete unless I divorce my current wife and I remarry my coworker. So that's what he does. He divorces his wife and he leaves the home and he remarries his coworker. So at the age of five, Jessica now has a wound that we call abandonment. Jessica's seven. She continues to grow up. Like every small girl, Jessica longs for the affection and the attention of her father. Amen? Jessica's father is very busy. He's busy with his job. He's busy with his new wife. He has a baby with his new wife. But on every other weekend, Jessica's father has visitation with her and her younger brother. And on those weekends that Jessica knows she's slated to spend the weekend with her dad, she runs off the school bus, she races up the stairs, she yells down the hall to her brother, Jacob, and she said, Jacob, pack your bag because daddy's coming. Daddy's coming to get us. And Jessica runs into her bedroom. She dutifully packs her overnight bag. And she runs down the stairs, sits on the front porch waiting for her daddy. And many of you know what happens because maybe you've experienced it. On many weekends, Jessica's dad never comes. Jessica's dad is not a bad person. He doesn't intend to wound his daughter, but he does wound her because he is so busy with many other priorities. So at the age of seven, Jessica now has another wound that we call rejection. Jessica's father is not the only one to wound his daughter. Jessica's mother is a physician, and I can say this because I am a physician, Many of us are very perfectionistic, we're very driven, we're very performance-based. And Jessica's mom is no different. Jessica's mom really doesn't have any self-awareness. She doesn't know that she struggles with these things. So she really has no hope but to pass down what she knows. And so she communicates to her daughter very subtly through her words and through her actions, Jesse. Perform, perform, perform. And how many of you know that there's nothing wrong with working hard and doing your very best? Amen? I think that's what God desires of us. The problem comes when we begin to equate our value and our worth with our performance. And how many of you know that the performance lie is such a trap? Because when we're overperforming, we're bent towards pride, and when we're underperforming, we're bent towards insecurity. And Jessica is 10, she has no idea what's happening to her, but she also finds herself becoming very driven and very perfectionistic. 
very performance-oriented. Jessica's 12. She continues to grow up. She begins to notice that there's an emptiness in her soul. And how many of you know that our hearts are restless until it finds rest in God? Amen? And Jessica is no different. Her soul is empty and it's restless. And she wants answers to the question that her soul is asking. What can fill this emptiness? Jessica doesn't go to church. Uh, Her parents can't really help her, even though they do love her. So Jessica goes to the only sources that she knows, and that is the world. So Jessica goes to social media and to pop culture, to the big screen, to her music, and she's looking for answers to the question, what's going to fill the emptiness inside of me? She notices a few things, and at the age of 14, Jessica recognizes that for a woman, external beauty is a defining mark of value, right? And whenever a woman is portrayed as beautiful, she's thin. In fact, she's very thin. Jessica wants to be valuable, therefore Jessica wants to be beautiful, therefore Jessica wants to be thin, So at the age of 14, Jessica begins to develop an eating disorder. And she begins to deprive herself of the essential nutrients that her body needs to be healthy and strong and vibrant. Jessica is 16 now. She's still looking for answers to the question, what can fill this emptiness, this emptiness in here? As she's looking to the same sources, she sees that when someone falls in love and then they solidify that love relationship with a physical relationship, they all look so happy. So that must be the answer to the question. Jessica begins to date a boy, and this, ba- this kid is not a bad kid. He doesn't mean anyone any harm. But after a year, Jessica finds herself pregnant. Jessica is smart and ambitious. She has big plans for her life, and she knows that now is not the time to, to raise a child, and she knows that it would be too shameful to just carry that baby and then give it up for adoption. So she knows what to do. She and her boyfriend just go down to the clinic, and they just quiet that problem right out. This is Jessica. And we can all see, because we're looking from the outside in, that Jessica is a mess. But Jessica has no self-awareness. Jessica has no idea what's happening in her soul. She's just living life like the rest of us. And not only does Jessica not have self-awareness, she also has no idea that there is a spirit realm at play in her life. Amen? Jessica does not know that there is a God who loves her passionately. Our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And my favorite passage in the whole of the scripture is Jeremiah 31.3, which God is speaking and he says, I have loved you with an everlasting 
love. And that word everlasting, it literally means extending outside of the boundaries of time as we know and understand it. So what God is saying to us in that passage is that in eternity past, he was loving us. He is loving us now in the present and into eternity future, he will continue to love us. Jessica has no idea she is loved with a passionate and unfailing love like that. Jessica also does not know that there is an evil one who is the other player in the spirit realm. And sometimes when I teach on this topic, I'm sure this isn't true of anyone here, but I get this feeling that uh, some of us maybe have put the evil one in the category of fiction or mythology, and uh, we don't really want to think about that there is a real evil being that the scriptures are very clear is Satan and his counterparts. God has an agenda for, for Jessica's life, and John 10.10 10 tells us what it is. What is it? Abundance. Amen. God's agenda for Jessica is abundance. The evil one also has an agenda for Jessica's life. And the same passage tells us what it is. The evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy us. And Jessica does also not know that these areas of her life, these unhealed wounds of abandonment and rejection, the lies that she's believing that her value and worth are based on performance and the shame that she's carrying around, these can actually create what we call open doors, if you will, for the evil one to afflict us. And the scriptures actually use a different term. And I like the term open door. When we lived in Africa, um, my kids, we have three children, and they would come in and out, and they would always leave the door open. And you know what happens in Africa when the door's open? The mosquitoes get in, right? And I had malaria many times, so I was always saying, close the door, please, close the door. And I would ask my husband, why is it that I always get malaria? And my husband would say, oh, honey, it's because your skin is so sweet. <laughs> so we all know what, what, what an open door is, but the scriptures actually use a different term, and the scripture uses the term foothold. And Paul tells us in Ephesians, I believe chapter 4, it's a command. He's speaking to the church, and Paul says, do not give the evil one a foothold in your life. And I'd like to just um, explain to you the way that I see it. Uh, this is not an exact science, but the, this is kind of the way that my brain thinks. As a surgeon, I approach things somewhat linearly and logically. And this is a busy slide, but hopefully it will help someone. This is the way that I see it. In life, we all encounter wounds. And wounds tend to cause us to believe lies. When we agree with the lies of the evil one, what happens? We empower the voice of the liar. Amen? And we actually give him a foothold in our soul. 
And a foothold, did you know that a foothold is actually a battle term? And it literally means a secure position for advancement. So in other words, what Paul is saying is, do not give the evil one a secure position for advancement in your life. Lie-based thinking over time can actually result in what the scripture calls a stronghold. And a stronghold is actually a fortress that is built in our thinking. It's, it's, a think, it's, it's thinking that's taken residence up in our mind that is contrary to the truth of God. So what is the point of the parable? What is the point of all of this? Well, the point is, is that in one way or another, we're all Jessica. Amen? Because we've all been wounded in life. No one escapes. I believe that we are all created in the image of God. Claire beautifully says, Imago Deo, right? We're created in the image of our triune God. We are also made up of three parts, I believe. Spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit, I believe, at the time of salvation, is renewed, regenerated, and perfected. That is a supernatural transaction that happens in our spirit at the moment that we place our trust in Jesus. Amen? We were once sinners. That was our identity. We recognize that we've fallen short of the glory of God. And we recognize that the payment of Jesus on the cross is good for us to receive that truth. And we cross over from spiritual death into spiritual life. That is the gospel. And when we believe that something supernatural, a transaction happens in our spirit. And the Holy Spirit then takes residence in our spirit. Amen? Our soul, on the other hand, can be a very different story. Our soul, I believe, is also made up of three parts. Our mind, our emotions, and our will. To use Enneagram language, our head, our heart, our gut, right? Our mind, our emotions, our will. That is our soul. Our soul can still be very much a mess at the time of salvation. Because it can still be affected by our unhealed wounds, the lies we believe, the sin that we indulge in, and the evil one. Our body, of course, of course is, not, um, is the third part of who we are, and it's not unimportant. It's the temple where we are the temple. Our body is the temple where the Holy Spirit resides. And um, our body can also be deeply affected by the wounds and lies that we believe. As a gynecologist over the last 25 years, I see many women with chronic pelvic pain. And we know that for many women who have chronic, who suffer from chronic pelvic pain, they actually don't have anything physically wrong with them. 
but many of them have suffered all sorts of abuse and neglect in their life. And so we, it's, it's a standard part of our questioning when a patient comes and that is their complaint. What type of abuse have they incurred in their lifetime? And people say, oh, it's all in their head. It's not all in their head. It's all in their soul. It's all in our soul, and it can make its way into our body, and we can actually have physical manifestations in our body because of the things, the trauma that has happened uh, to us. Our body keeps the score, as your pastor says. Our body keeps the score of what's happened in our lifetime. And I love what Rob Reimer says. Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of Rob Reimer in his book, Soul Care. It's an excellent resource. But this is what he says about sanctification. He says that it is the process of becoming like Jesus. Excuse me. Sanctification or the process of becoming like Jesus is simply becoming who you already are. We have to work out in the realm of the soul what has already taken place in the heavenly realms through the work of Christ in our spirit. It's very helpful to understand the division of spirit and soul. See, Jesus has already paid the price for our freedom, but we have to learn how to co-labor with the spirit in the freedom journey. And how do we do this? How do we do this? The scripture teaches us that we need divine weapons. Self-effort and willpower alone are not enough to break strongholds. Paul says in uh, Corinthians, and I'm sorry, but it's so far away I can't read it. Maybe, oh, maybe we can go to the next slide. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, right? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So what are some of these weapons? What are some of these weapons? Can I just ask a question and is that, is that legal? What are some of the weapons? Okay. <laughs> the sword of the spirit. Amen. What are some of the weapons that you know about? The divine weapons that we have. Amen. Amen. Shield of faith. Amen. That's right. What did someone over here say? Yes. Yes. A couple of uh, divine weapons that the Lord's been speaking to me about for 2019 are the weapons of praise and the weapon of gratitude. And I feel that there's an invitation for me from God in 2019 to utilize my weapons of praise and gratitude at a new level that I haven't used before in the past. But some other steps that we can take as we move from a place of being bound to enjoying more of the freedom that God has already purchased for us, and I, I have just a few steps here. I know this is kind of a busy slide, uh, but step one is to identify. 
If we want to be free, we have to come out of hiding. And I love the song that we sang earlier. You know, Satan likes to hide in the dark, right? We, we need to identify where we're stuck, where we're bound, and bring it into the light. And we need to identify what is the wound, what is the lie that we're believing, where are we stuck in our strongholds. And I found that we may not even know where we're stuck. I truly We may not even know, but the Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit knows how to put us into circumstances to expose those deep things within us. The last 18 months, I have been going through a situation that has really just undone me. I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but... I'm sort of coming out on the other side of that. And one of the things that God has taught me through this that he's really showed me is just how selfish I truly am. And I am not lying. I did not see my selfishness this way before. It wasn't until I went through this difficult trial where I, God really began to expose, wow, gee whiz, I am way more selfish than I ever realized God knows how to get us from A to Z, and he he likes to speak to us. He likes to whisper to us. His motivation is always love in exposing the darker things in our soul because he knows that whatever is binding us is not good for us, and it's not good for the kingdom. We can pray prayers like Psalm 139, which says, Search me, O God, and know me. And see if there is any offensive way in me. And when we pray those prayers, we can trust that the Spirit will show us when we're ready to see it. Amen? Self-examination can be difficult. It can be very difficult and uh, not always pleasant. But God's Word promises us that there's a harvest of righteousness and peace. Amen? For those of us who are willing to engage the training process. The discipline process, the maturation process. The next idea that I'd like to talk about is forgiveness. And I can't really say enough about forgiveness. We have a ministry that was started at our church called Restorative Prayer. And over the course of several years, I don't even know, maybe a decade, I've probably done 100 or more prayer appointments with people. And I've come to believe that unforgiveness is truly one of the cancers of the church. It really is. And unforgiveness, someone has wisely said, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. How many of you have heard that before? And did you know that in the scriptures we're actually commanded to forgive? It's a command. And we know that commands are always within the reach of a choice. Eventually, we will have to forgive those who have wounded us, including ourselves. And sometimes the most important person that we need to forgive is ourself. See, we erroneously believe sometimes that by continuing to hold a grudge against our offender, we're making them pay for what they've done to us. But this is such a lie. This is such a lie. I think it's also important to say that, <clears throat> to explain what is forgiveness and what is, what is forgiveness not. Okay? Forgiveness is not denying or minimizing a wound. 
It's not pretending that it didn't happen or that it didn't deeply, deeply, profoundly sometimes impact us. But instead, forgiveness is acknowledging the pain of the wound and it's making a choice to release the offender to God and to let God deal with the offender the way that he sees best and to release the offense and trust that as we release the offender, God heals us of the offense. It's also important to note that forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean that we have to trust them or even continue in relationship with them. If they're a habitual offender, sometimes we do need to put up boundaries. And uh, there was a time when I had to put up a boundary with my father. My father and I had a very tumultuous relationship my whole life. My father was an alcoholic. And uh, shortly after we were married, we had been married, we had two children. We were actually planning to go to Africa the first time. My father was vehemently opposed to this idea. And he began to spew some verbal abuse to me about this. And I recall in particular one phone conversation with him. I hung up the phone and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, you don't have to listen to this anymore. And I said, great, great. (laughs) Honor your father and mother doesn't mean you have to submit yourself to their abuse if that's what they're going to do. And you're an adult. So I put a boundary up with my father and we did not speak a word to each other for seven years. The whole time that we were living in Africa, we'd never had one communication. Now, the redemption is, is that recently... Uh, He was diagnosed with lung cancer, and my father did eventually pass away about a year ago. But God is so good, because about six months, right at the time he was diagnosed, we began to have reconciliation in our relationship. God actually used me to lead my father to Christ, and... I even did a prayer appointment with him, and he began to offload some of the demonic strongholds that he had carried around in his life. And I am very confident that my father is now in heaven with Jesus. He is a trophy of the grace of God. Trust me, if there's anyone that's a trophy of the grace of God, it's my dad. And I'm sure he's smiling right now in heaven. But forgiveness is such an important piece. Next, we have confession. Confession. And how many of you know that confession literally means just agreeing with God? That's really just what it means. It's so simple. We just agree with God. And we we may need to agree with God that we've believed a lie or partnered with a stronghold in our life. And some may feel that it's not fair that we have to agree with God or we have to confess when, when our, our, our lie, our stronghold, our problem is the result of someone else's sin against us. And it's true that we may have been a victim. And God is so gracious and compassionate. He knows when we have been victimized. And he is walking through us with the journey. But I can attest from my own life that there will come a time where we have to take responsibility for our own soul. 
And we have to say, yes, God, I agree with you that I have partnered with this lie and with this stronghold, with this way of thinking. And sometimes our strongholds aren't so much the result of someone's sin wounding us, but it's about our own choices, right? Our own destructive choices to walk away from what we know is good and right for us. Proverbs says, when we conceal our sin, we do not prosper But when we confess our sin, we find his mercy. Does anyone want to find his mercy today? Let's not be afraid of confession. Let's not be afraid of agreeing with God where we've gotten off track. Next is repentance. And what does repentance mean? What does repentance mean? To turn around to turn in another direction by the changing of our mind. And repentance is really the logical next step after confession because it's not helpful for us to agree with God about the lies we believe if we're just going to keep believing them, right? And it's not helpful for us to confess our sin if we're just going to keep on doing the same old thing the same old way. We have to, to, to tr- turn and start moving in a different direction. See, God is not only offering us liberty for our own enjoyment, although I do believe that he is offering it to us for our own enjoyment. It's not the only reason. God is also offering us freedom so that we can be a billboard, right? An advertisement, an ambassador to a very broken and hurting world. That there is a real God who sets people free. He's also offering it to us so that we can pass down freedom instead of bondage to our children and to the next generation. Amen? Repentance. The next thought is we have to renounce the lie. Renouncing the lie is an important part of the freedom journey. How many of you know that lies are one of the most common weapons that the evil one uses against us? Instead, the scriptures say that lies are his native tongue. That when he speaks, he speaks lies. When we agree with the lies of the evil one, we unknowingly partner with him in that area of our soul. Okay, that does not mean that we are not a true Christian. It just means in that area of our soul, the evil one has, has an entry point into our, our inner man. And trust me, I speak from personal experience, the evil one will take every opportunity to gain more and more ground in our lives if we let him. Lie-based thinking keeps us bound, but the truth sets us free. Formally renouncing partnership with a lie is important because how many of you know that life and death are held in the power of the tongue? And there is power when we speak out loud and we say, I renounce the lie that my value and worth is based on performance. There is power in that. And did you know that there are actually transactions that occur in the spirit realm? It's a mystery. I can't explain it. I can only tell you that there are things that happen in the spirit realm when we speak out loud. 
that we renounce the lie and that we affirm God's truth in exchange, right? Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. Then you will know what? The truth. And the truth will set you free. Without the truth, there is no freedom. See, if we remove the lie, it's kind of like we're put in neutral position. But if we want forward progress as a free child of God, we have to replace the lie with the truth. I renounce the lie that my value is based on performance, and I embrace the truth that I am valued and loved as a beloved daughter of the king. Amen? And we have to persist in believing the truth over the long haul if we want lasting freedom. I recently heard Joyce Myers talking about how there was a time where she, she used the word, I had to get violent with the evil one. She said, because I had believed his lies for so long, he wasn't giving up easily. I had to stand my ground and let him know I wasn't going to get pulled back in to his shenanigans. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. The next step is to invite the Spirit's power, to invite the Spirit's power, because all spiritual growth is ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, he said something like this, Who has bewitched you? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by self-effort? In other words, what he's saying is you understand that salvation is a gift of the Spirit, but then when you start trying to grow up in Christ and become sanctified, all of a sudden we're employing all of this human effort. It is a work of the Spirit, and yet it is a partnership. And we have to navigate through that partnership and be responsible for our part, but then trust God for only what He can do, which is to break the chain. Which is to break the chain. The Spirit invites us into the sacred journey of growing into maturity, and it's our choice to decide whether we're going to go with Him and grow up into all that God has destined us to be and become and do, or are we going to stay stuck down here in the small places where the evil one wants to keep us? See, life in Christ is a beautiful exchange. And I've heard it said, and I love this, Jesus always exchanges up. Amen? See, we give him our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. We give him our ashes, and he gives us his beauty. We give him our brokenness and all of our stuff, and he gives us his healing and his freedom in exchange. Isn't life in Christ such a beautiful exchange? Amen. And lastly, I just want to make a point about maintaining our freedom. Maintaining our freedom. Galatians 5 says that it's possible to be be set free, but then to go back to our yoke of slavery. And I believe personally that this is by far the most difficult step, step because it does require the daily shedding of all of that false self and stuff. 
And it, it requires our partnership to live into the true self of who Christ has made us to be. And Claire has, has um, helped me remember this because I'm a physician and I should know this. But how many of you know that when we believe something over a long period of time, whether it's a truth or a lie, that we actually build neuropathways around that belief system? And so when we encounter a situation where our belief system is tested, if we've de- believed a lie for a long period of time, that neuropathway is actually going to fire automatically. And so there is some intentionality on our part that we have to recognize what's happening and we have to say, no, I'm not going to partner with that. I'm going to instead renew my mind with who God says I am. Learning to forgive ourselves can be an important part of maintaining our victory because at some point we likely will fall down. It's not just like perfect. We go, we go, we take one step, we take the next one, and we never fall down and get back up. I don't know. Maybe that's your experience. It's certainly not mine. It's certainly not mine. But during those times, we can be assured of God's unfailing and unconditional love towards us. How many of you um, are parents in the room and you remember when your baby was growing up and he or she started to learn to walk and they would crawl themselves up on the furniture and they would start cruising around and then eventually they weren't holding on to anything and they would start taking their first steps. And as a parent, you would stand back and you would cheer for them and you would say, you're doing great, little John, and keep coming. And Johnny would fall down and then he would get back up. What good parent would say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you know how to walk perfectly yet? No parent would say that. God is so much more of a perfect parent than we could ever be. And God knows this is tough stuff. The evil one has been at this for a while. And he knows how we tick. He knows how to trigger us. He knows what lies we're more prone to as compared to the other person. But God is there and he's encouraging us to keep coming and keep coming until the final day when we see him face to face. Amen. And we experience the ultimate freedom of being in his presence. So that's really what I wanted to share with you this morning. In the last year or two, God's been speaking to me this phrase, strategic prayer, strategic prayer. And how many of you know that there's, not a, there's never a right or a wrong way to pray? Of course not. God accepts all of our prayers. But what I think God is saying is that There are ways that we can actually pray that are more strategic than others. And when we do that, when we employ strategic prayer, which, by the way, is one of the most powerful weapons that we have in our arsenal, what I have experienced personally and what I have literally seen hundreds of people experience is that God heals our wounds He frees us from lies and shame. And he continues to transform us into the person that we were originally created to be. 
Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and, um, and hold this. Just, let's just hold it. And um, so I want you to know that when you ha- hear something like this, you say, okay, so now what? Right. Well, um, we're going to bring uh, Stacy back to do a whole day workshop and, and guide us. And so, um, so just be watching for that. We'll set that on the calendar and have that in place. Um, her book is here. If you want to pick it up, it would be a great way to start to look at what she'll be guiding you in, in that workshop. And, um, and just know that the grace of God is here for us. Amen. I I'm sure that you were thinking of many Jessica's as you were looking at that board. I know I was. And, uh, and I was I'm, thinking of Scotica. You were thinking yeah. of Scotica. Uh-huh. <laughs> Love it. And so what we want to do to send you out is bless you because this is, you know, uh, hearing a talk like this is just a part of the work. So I'm going to begin and then Scott will end it. So just put your arms out, your hands open, however you would like to pray. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask, who am I to be brilliant and talented and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking. Nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others around you don't feel insecure. We are all meant to shine. Shine like children do. We were born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in absolutely every one of us. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So Lord, we receive liberation on this day. We thank you for your word coming through, Dr. Stacy. We thank you, God, that you have been freeing us up over these moments that we've been in your presence together. So we receive liberation, and we pray that liberation would flow through us, that even as we uh, begin to move back into uh, our community, we move from this space into the next space that we live in, God, we pray there would be such a connectedness to the liberation that you have given us and that we would share this to a world and to people that are in bondage. Let freedom come, God. Amen. And so in the name of the Father, who loves us, in the name of the Son, who gave his life for us, and in the name of the Spirit, who empowers us, have a beautiful week. We love you.